in some ways, the industry squashes creativity because it wants everybody to stay in this sweet middle. It's if you're trying to please everybody, you're sunk. I play this game of what kind of restaurant would you be? And a lot of people are basically like a food court. Like I can do everything, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I'm like a one of those restaurants where you sit down and this is the fresh fish we just caught today. And here's the fresh vegetables. And this is on the menu. And this is what we're serving. It's going to be the best meal you've had. I'm really into this idea of narrow casting rather than broadcasting and, you know, trying to become the biggest, just find cool people and shoot their weddings. When I teach um, or when I talk to photographers, I feel like a lot of what I do is unlock them and say, you're handcuffed by these expectations of the industry, but you have the key to the handcuffs. So just let go. Hey, welcome to the Beginner Photography Podcast. I am your host, Raymond Hadfield, and today we are chatting with celebrity wedding photographer John Dolan about creating images that are perfectly imperfect. This episode is brought to you by CloudSpot, the all-in-one, way better than Google Drive solution to deliver and even sell your photos online. You can grab your free forever CloudSpot account with 10 gigabytes of photo storage right now over at deliverphotos.com. As you can imagine, as a, uh, a wedding photographer for a number of years, I've seen my share of wedding photography. Um, but despite the number of images that I have seen, John's images stand out. And they probably wouldn't stand out maybe on Pinterest uh, or Instagram because they're not um, visually trendy. In fact, uh, John has published an entire photo book with images that he has shot from weddings called The Perfect Imperfect. And it shows us that these, that a meaningful photo does not have to, you know, be, okay, everyone look at the camera and say cheese and, you know, very camera aware. It can be less visually perfect, but still have a depth that invites you to, hang out and explore the image. His images have, have, they have substance. That's, that's the best way that I can describe it. And that is why he attracts wedding clients like Ben Stiller, Will Smith, Kate Bosworth, Robert Redford, Jerry Seinfeld, and Gwyneth Paltrow. These people, they are visually literate when they, they know what it is that they're looking at and they can, in essence, choose anyone that they want to shoot their wedding, but they chose John for his pursuit of authentic, even if that means authentic is less than perfect. And with that, let's go ahead and get on into today's interview with the one and only John Dolan. John, my first question for you is, I want to know, when did you first know that photography was going to play an important role in your life? I was one of those people who's lucky to find photography early and at a crucial part of my life when you're right in high school. Uh, I was a terrible student. I was always looking out the window. And then um, my dad bought me a camera. I, I kind of lobbied for a camera. I also knew that I was a collector. So I was a baseball card, coin collector, uh, newspaper clippings, sort of historian kid. And photography is another form of collecting. So once I once I had the camera in my hands and got a driver's license at 16, I was just leaving school as early as I could and uh, heading out into the world and photographing it. So uh, the power of the camera, um, the window into the world, that personal obsession thing was was really fast with me. And uh, I built a darkroom in my basement one weekend when my dad was away. And uh, <laughs> he was kind of shocked that I had done that. But uh, I put all my efforts into it really fast. So it was it was that teenage obsession thing. Now, you, you said that, um, you know, uh, taking photographs is a form of collecting. Did you feel that way when you were, you know, 16 or so? Is that something that you realized later on? I did. I had a couple people close to me uh, die in different ways, not to get too heavy right away, but um, like a neighbor of mine crashed his car and, but I had photographs of him and I realized that, you know, the, the photograph keeps this person in a certain way. And, uh, and I just, I, I, it, it came to me in a, 
in a faster way than with most people. I didn't take it lightly. I realized when you photograph somebody, you are saving that memory. You're carving time into these little slivers. And I think that uh, that hit me in a, in a really big way. Mm, man, I don't know if I ever thought about anything that deep at 16 years old. So um, <laughs> when, um, when I was you got a weird that camera, kid, yeah, <laughs> you were a weird kid. We were all weird kids. Uh, when when you got that camera and, and you started shooting, uh, what types of things were you shooting? Did you have any sort of focus or it was just wherever your eye took you? No, that's, that's a good question because it, uh, you know, I was thinking deep things, but I wasn't shooting anything deep. I was shooting sports and, uh, and rock concerts basically. Um, so, but I realized I was really fast with my hand eye coordination. So I was making really kind of smart sport, sports pictures, uh, for the school newspaper. They were, a little bit beyond what uh, the requirement was. And uh, I had that great moment when I was at a soccer game and a, a local newspaper person came up to me and she said, our photographers uh, didn't show up today. Can we see your film afterwards? So I, you know, went home, developed the film and met her at a, in a parking lot and gave her a print. And the next day it was in the newspaper and that was that, you know, mind blowing thing at 16 to, uh, to get $25 for a print of a, a re and it was actually a really interesting photograph of, you know, three guys heading the ball into the net and they all looked very strange and surreal, but it was, you know, it was a thrill to be published, uh, especially given the fact that I was, just kind of coasting through all my other classes, I realized, oh, this is something I'm better at than all the other people in my class. Uh, so, yeah, and rock concerts gave me that access. Um, and in those days, it was fairly easy to sneak a camera in and, and get up to the front row. And, um, and rock lighting is amazing. You know, the concert lighting is fantastic. So if you're right there really close, you can, see the sweat on the guitarist's head. And, uh, it was, it gave me that intensity of the experience rather than just being a concert goer. I was kind of part of the creative experience. Oh, wow. Part of the creative experience. That's interesting. Cause it's like, I feel like I've never been in a band before, uh, a serious band aside from anything just in high school. Um, but it seems like to me, from the band's perspective, being out there and like doing the performance, I would think is one of the least creative parts. You know, mm -hmm. at least, I guess it depends on your your style of creativity. But that act allowed you to feel most creative. So when they were feeling maybe one of their least creative, yeah. you felt most creative. So what did you do with those photos? Did you also share those in the paper or were those just personal? You know, I, I was just... Um... I think it's about being in the moment. It's sort of a cliche, but when you photograph something, you're so intensely connected with the light and the energy and the uh, music and all that. So I was doing it mostly for myself, but then I, you know, I would put it in the high school art show. And, uh, but I did have an experience with a band called Little Feet, which was, uh, I went to the concert the night that the lead singer, uh, overdosed. So I was, my buddy and I were the only guys with cameras there. So, uh, we took our film down to the Washington Post. I grew up in the suburbs of DC. Uh, we took the film down to the Washington Post and handed it over to the old guy in the dark room and he ran them in the soup. And, um, uh, my buddy's picture got in the paper the next day, not mine. But a year later, when I was at college in Wisconsin, I got a phone call on, you know, in the old days, people would put a note on your door, Dolan, the Washington Post called, and they, here's the number. And uh, they were doing a first anniversary story about this rock star, and they published my picture full page in the Washington Post. So that was sort of the second time where I got that rush of, um, you know, this picture of yours is unique and has a power to it. So I think that was 50 bucks. So I was raking it in. <laughs> I'm but, glad that, uh, that they have a larger budget than, uh, than the local newspaper there. Yeah. Was this, yeah. um, was this still in high school 
was it? No, I was in college then. So it was, hmm. I think I shot it the summer before going to college. And then, you know, whatever it was a year later, they, they did a, uh, a story about this, this musician. I uh, see. So I guess I want to know where, where does it transition from? I'm taking photos of, of friends and school stuff hmm. to, you know what? I think I might turn this into a career. Like, when did that click for you? Was it when you got that first picture published in the local newspaper? Was it when the time when when the Washington Post called you? Was it later than that? Where did it end up? You know, I I I went to a liberal arts school in Wisconsin called Beloit College. Um, I didn't. I I thought of going to an art school to study photography, but um, my parents were strongly suggestive. Uh, of liberal arts instead of a narrow path. And even some of the art schools I visited said, you know, you're good, but you, you're not art school material. You might just be broader than that. And, hmm. um, which I think was a good decision because I was interested in English and literature and things. So, uh, and the, the professor I had at Beloit, I had for three years. And I think he saw my raw talent and he just, took me and it was, you know, it was a very small college. So he molded me very intensely over three years and, uh, introduced me to poetry and short stories and novels and, um, and photography history and art history and, uh, just cultural awareness, which made me go from a sports and rock photographer to, uh, whatever I became just a deeper photographer. So I was, I feel lucky to have gotten such a, uh, intense educational experience. And, you know, I, th I remember distinctly the first time going on a field trip to Chicago and, and going to a gallery and they gave us a special show of Ansel Adams prints and, uh, seeing moonrise over Hernandez in the flesh was just a, you know, a remarkable experience. Um, I was always into darkroom work, but then seeing a master print was, uh, it just raised the bar so high for me. Like, how do I go from these mediocre prints to something extraordinary? There's, there's so much there too, to go back and, and ask about, uh, cause what an experience that is. So, um, when it came to the this this deeper education right being exposed to things like poetry and literature and 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 other forms of art do you think i guess by this point you already have the technical understanding of photography yes. down now it's just you learned the tool now you're learning photography right exactly how do you think that learning those things the the literary the poetry the the, the paintings all of these things how do you think that helped you in photography Hey, Raymond here. If you're sometimes baffled by which camera settings to use, then I've got just the thing for you. My free guide, Picture Perfect Camera Settings. It's a fantastic starting point for anybody eager to understand the basics of camera settings in various shooting scenarios. And it's tailored to beginners who want to get out of auto mode, providing clear, easy to follow suggestions on where to start with your settings. So whether you're capturing a stunning landscape or a family portrait, Picture Perfect Camera Settings will help you to get off of automatic mode and explore the possibilities your camera offers. Remember, mastering photography settings is a journey, and this guide is your first step, and the perfect resource to guide you towards finding the right settings for your style. So grab your copy today at perfectcamerasettings.com and start your journey to better photos. Uh, without knowing it, I think I was becoming a narrative photographer. I think I was, I was always drawn more towards towards writers than to towards painters. Um, but it just gave me this way of seeing the world that when you walk into a room, you're creating a story. Uh, when I photograph, I'm seeing connections between people. I'm, I'm seeing little thought bubbles out of people's heads. Uh, but it's, I think what happened in college was it set me on this path that a photograph can be deeper than just the surface. The, the sports and rock pictures were very, were, were celebrating the surface of that experience. But, uh, somehow in college, I just, it went into the pictures and, um, and it's, you know, this is all a conversation about 
the back in the film days, I think it's uh, it's a it's a different struggle for people right now because uh, I have a base idea that photography is very easy to get good at and then much harder to get really good at. So I meet a load of photographers who uh, quit their job as a teacher or a nurse and became photographers, watched a lot of videos and learned it. And they've gotten to a certain level of technical proficiency. And then they get frustrated because they don't know what to do with that. Uh, and, and I think that's the real challenge. But it's it's a particularly unique thing to photography that it's you can get good at it so quickly. Like what other art form can you get good at in six months? Right. Yeah. Violin, yeah. poetry, you know, sculpture. Um, and I think it's sort of a torture of photography that you can see it. Like you can, as we were talking about before going on, that your friends say, oh, you're a great photographer. You should be a photographer. It's it's It seems within reach, but it's a uh, much more complicated struggle than uh, you might think. But it's a worthy pursuit. Hmm. That's... I feel like that's something that I've been trying to put into words for a long time because you're right. I mean, you can get quote unquote good very quickly in photography, but going from good to great takes, I mean, forever. And um, kind of where I'm at, I stopped shooting weddings after 10 years. Um, mm. I kind of fell out of love with it. And I feel like now I've been trying to figure out like, well, what do I want to shoot? Um, and I think that for the past I had went to school uh, to be a cinematographer, mm. and then I fell in love with with photography after that. Um, but because of that, uh, I often wonder if I just focused so much on the technicals. And yeah, I can properly expose, I can look at composition, I can look at framing and lighting, and I can get the photo. And it's better than, you know, I don't know, 99% of other people. Yeah. But it's still just quote unquote good. It's not great. And I feel like I'm only now having the world be opened up to me of like, Oh, there's so much more to photography than just this. Like again, the sum of its settings and trying to figure that out. Um, so I appreciate you saying that. That's a hard thing. Yeah. No, I think the, uh, I think part of it is that, um, the making of the picture is actually the easiest part. Taking the picture is the easy part. People obsess on it and oh, am I in focus? I have all the exposure right. Do I have the composition right? That's the easy part. The harder part is knowing when to photograph and what's the photograph about. And I, I, I mean, I, I keep going back to this, uh, the three years of photography class I had. The, my professor was, he was Hungarian. He was kind of uh, a little bit Freud, a little bit Jung and Zen. And he would just, I'll constantly ask this question of you, you you're saying the picture's about this but you don't it's about much more and you don't even know it so it it was a a puzzle to be the author of the picture and put things into that photograph instead of just settling for here's a picture of two people kissing at their wedding like what's behind those relationships um and it, it's basically it's what's made it interesting for me for 25 plus years that every wedding I go to is kind of this mystery to be solved. What are these two families like and uh, what's going to happen today? And uh, I, th I think it's, it's that I'm never bored because human, human beings are so messy and complicated and uh, so and families, it's always crazy. Uh, at a wedding. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that um, after, I guess let, let, let's touch upon the, the, uh, the professional side a little bit because you didn't get directly into weddings. So you went yeah. into, it was commercial and editorial as, yeah. as well. Is that right? Yep. So how did, how did you, how did you transfer from that into weddings? So I, I moved to New York when I was 24 after like a four month hitchhike through Europe where I just photographed every day. It was kind of my postgraduate, uh, um, uh, experience and real quick how many rolls of film did you bring uh you know not that many it was i think it was probably 40 or 50 rolls oh that's but, it <laughs> yeah but you know i was careful and <laughs> i was 
I may have even rolled my own film in those days. I probably mm. did. Um, but I wasn't shooting a ton, but I was shooting, I was looking every day, you know, that's, that was the first time in my life. That's all I did was photograph and walk and hitchhike and, uh, that sort of stuff. But, uh, then I moved to New York and I basically, uh, had, uh, there's a funny thing that I, I just had so little skills beyond photography and to make money. Um, so I ended up just printing in a dark room for say six years in a few different, for a few different photographers. But, um, I was a terrible assistant. I didn't know how to light. Uh, I didn't know how to do carpentry. I didn't know how to work in an office, but you know, in a dark room, I'm, that was my place, my happy place. Um, so it was a funny kind of way to spend days in New York, but, uh, in the dark, in the dark. And, but I, it was a, it was also a really cheap time to live in New York. So, uh, I, you know, I didn't make much money, didn't, but I was learning photographs from the inside out, um, by printing people's pictures. Uh, and the, the person I worked for the most was for four years was this photographer named Sylvia Plahi, whose son was the actor Adrian Brody. Yeah. Um, but he was a kid when I was there. So part of my job was to take him out after school because he had lots of energy as a theatrical kid and we'd wrestle and play football and go to horror movies and stuff. But, um, <laughs> but I learned, I mean, so I, I was kind of refining my craft, but I was, I certainly didn't know what I was photographing. I was doing some street photography. Um, and then Sylvia recommended me to shoot a wedding and it was just one of the great nights of photography I've ever had, uh, a New York city wedding with super cool people. And, you know, it's just holding on for dear life sort of thing. Um, and then I started showing my wedding pictures around to magazine editors and they would, you know, consider me for a job at Mademoiselle magazine or traveler or some Condé Nast, but they would say uh, the one photo, photo editor said, I don't have a job for you, but I'm getting married next year. And in those days, this is like the nineties in New York. It was very uncool to admit that you did weddings. Mm. Um, so I would, I would have a portfolio and then I'd have a few wedding pictures in it. And, uh, but I ended up shooting, I mean, 10 or 20 different photo editors and editors and writers and art directors weddings in the late nineties. Um, so it was, you know, I was getting some editorial work, but nothing big and then getting the weddings for people. And then I knew their whole families and then I'd get assignments that way. So it was a, an accidentally really great marketing plan. Oh, wow. So just because you had personal relationship with these editors, yeah, and they, they trusted me in a different way. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and knew that you shot weddings and that uh, you didn't shy away from it and they didn't want to be associated with wedding photographers. Is that it? So they just knew that you would be the person? Uh, there weren't. There were very few wedding photographers in the 90s. There were, there were amongst my group of magazine photographers and documentary people. Uh, it was it was the lowest form of photography. Bar mitzvahs and weddings were just the, the, the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole idea of shooting families and uh, women under pressure and uh, and the, it, it was it was kind of lovely that there were there was very little competition. There were the old studios who shot it with the RZs or the Hasselblads uh, with the tripod and the big flash. And then there was a small group of us in the nineties um, and we, we shot with small cameras and handheld flashes and just uh, we were sort of the young bucks. <laughs> How did you approach that first wedding? Was it, were you trying to shoot it as you normally would your commercial stuff? Or did you try to look at wedding photography to get an idea of what it was and shoot it that way? You have to imagine a world where there was no way to see wedding photography oh. where there were, there were no magazines that were showing real weddings um, until, I mean, that was my other 
big break was uh, I was showing my work to a, an agent in New York and she said, uh, you have wedding pictures. Martha Stewart's about to start a new wedding issue, a new wedding magazine. So that was 1995. And I, she said, run up there because they're just about to, you know, they're working on it right now. And they took, I went, had a meeting there and they brought another editor in and which is always a good sign when you're at a meeting and they bring more people into the meeting. Um, and then they ended up running 20 of my pictures in the first Martha Stewart wedding issue. Holy cow. Um, so that was, I mean, I, I, I think every wedding photographer it, uh, working now should send Martha a thank you note because that exploded the industry. Um and made weddings cool and uh, uh and it really kind of shifted because people they would feature real weddings they were using non-wedding photographers to shoot their cakes and their you know flowers and they really redefined the whole genre in in uh you know two or three years in the late 90s and you were a part of that how cool is that yeah it was it was funny to go from being the least cool guy in the room to being uh, accepted. I still, it took me a lot of years to ever shoot for Martha Stewart Living because that was a much more kind of controlled magazine. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed uh, having that. Um, they would just treat the pictures so beautifully. They'd make these spreads that were just incredible. Uh, so yeah, it was lucky, a lucky thing. Yeah, I I would imagine today that's um, or I guess back back then when you're used to printing your photos, it's not as uh, I don't want to say it's not as big of a deal as to get it in a magazine, but I guess seeing it in print is really yeah. really something. But today, you know, I don't I don't think many photographers print their photos, so getting it in a uh, publication and having a you know an editor like actually put this thing together and a designer would be quite an amazing experience. So that is that is very cool. Um, I have a question because I heard you say on another uh, interview once that um, your goal at a wedding is to photograph how the wedding felt and not necessarily how it looked. How do you do that? Oh, that's the secret sauce. That's the, that's the magic. <laughs> that's why I asked. <laughs> I mean, I can't explain how I do it, except that I sort of step back and uh, imagine the uh, i try to sense what this moment feels like i'm trying to get inside people's heads saying what are they going to want to remember of this incredible night so it's a i've always tried to figure out the recipe but it's it's that i sense something and then i see it and then i frame it or i don't know the exact order but i do get a little quiver like this is incredible something's happening right now how do i capture it and it's i mean it's it's i've talked a lot about not controlling weddings and letting the wedding flow um and just being quick to catch it uh anytime that i stop the wedding and try to control it the picture just goes flat because it's it's uh, I, I always think of it as a sort of rushing river and you got to just, you know, you're in a kayak going down the rushing river and you got to just flow with it. Um, if you try to stop, it's just a disaster. Uh, I do little bits of, of leading people into good light. That's about the extent of my thing. And I'll tell people to uh, go into neutral instead of, I don't tell people to smile or to, nuzzle or whatever the prompts are i just say just like just just go into neutral and don't care and that's kind of the most useful thing um i hate being photographed so you know when i get photographed i try to just stop <laughs> posing or you know, trying yeah i'm wondering because that's one thing that a lot of photographers struggle with is the is the posing side of it and i think that for a number of years the term documentary photographer was really popular because there's this connotation that there's no posing involved. You just show up and shoot it how it is. Yeah. And to me, it sounds like there's a little bit of both of that in, in what it is that you do. Yeah. How do you think you 
how do you think that you're able to hold on let me try to formulate this question here because there's been times where i've told people like you know just just relax like just be yourselves you know just uh you know enjoy each other's company and it's almost like when i say that they become hyper aware of their bodies yes how do you is there a way that you you twist that around to get them to feel comfortable There are two ways to bring home more money with your photography business. You either get more clients or you spend less of the money that you make. CloudSpot Studio helps you keep more of what you earn. With the lowest payment processing fees in the industry, the average photographer will save $300 annually. And that's just more money to invest in essential gear like a new flash or a sweet camera bag. You know, one that is perfect for storing all of the wedding day snacks that you can pack. But it's not just about savings. CloudSpot Studio is designed to streamline your workflow. Easily organize shoots, send contracts, questionnaires, invoices, and you're really going to enjoy the hassle-free payments. So sign up for a free CloudSpot account at deliverphotos.com and... As a bonus, you're going to get access to my exclusive wedding and portrait contracts and questionnaires at no additional cost. Why let fees chip away at your profits? Empower your photo journey with CloudSpot and watch your business soar. Uh, I think there's um, a theater trick of giving people a task. Um I think it's so I, I anytime I see people lock up, I just say, let's let's go over here. Let's keep moving. But I'm shooting while we're moving to the next spot. So there's no kind of beginning or end or, uh, OK, ready, one, two, three. I, if I could outlaw people saying one, two, three, ready, one, <laughs> two, three. Like, why? That was 1910 when we needed to have people hold still. <laughs> That's we're beyond that. We can handle a little bit of movement. Um, and I, I just think that uh, it's all about what are they feeling? If they're feeling uh, moved by the experience, if they're feeling kind of high by the moment of getting married, the, that should be enough to emanate off the pictures. If you need to, to tell people how to feel, then there's a bigger problem. <laughs> Right. It's, I it's see. their wedding day. So mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. my, my daughter came up with this phrase uh, that she catches us doing sometimes with, when a parent will let us assign an emotion to a kid. Like, well, why do people tell their kids to smile? Uh, you know, make them laugh. Don't mm -hmm. or, or do something funny if they smile. Great. But telling people to look in love or look into each other's eyes and just just, you know, so much. <laughs> I just can't say any of those words to a, a, per, a person. It's, you know, it's their wedding day. I'm there to, to catch what they throw me. Mm, I'm there to catch what they throw me. That's a perfect quote right there. I love that. I, uh, uh, I often, some of my favorite photos of my kids are, you know, my wife is very much, she's not a photographer at all. She's a nurse. So every time she's like, Hey guys, smile, you know, and I look at those photos and, you know, you're just kind of like, this is a document. This is, you know, they it took this photo and she always says how much she likes my photos. And she's like, how do you, how do you get them to look like that? And I'm, I'll do a similar thing. I'll say like, um, you know, Hey, um, count how many times I blink. And then they'll look like right at me in the eyes while I take the photo or, you know, Hey, what color is your pants? And then they'll look down cause they don't know. And then they'll look up and like, Oh, it's blue. And there's just like that kind of natural expression. Um, and it's playing those games that I found the same thing. And I see how at a wedding that works because there's already a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you, uh, yeah, you, you sharing that. Um, which I guess kind of brings me to my next question of like, I, in talking to just various wedding photographers, there seems to be kind of two camps of preparation for wedding photographers. You either want to know every moment of the day before the day even starts and how it's going to go, or you want to know nothing. You want to just show up blind and kind of let your eye take you. Hmm. Where do you think you fall on that scale? Oh yeah. Just tell me where to be in and when. And, uh, I like to be the easiest thing on people's lists because they have a lot of stress. So, uh, but I also, I'm linking back to the editorial work that I did parallel to the weddings all those years. Uh, 
a lot of times we wouldn't get shot lists. We would get sort of a storyboard, which I think I think that's a much more useful way to think about a wedding. Um, I'm so down on the shot list because I think they drive a lot of photographers crazy and I don't read much when I'm shooting and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, I literally see people checking off these lists. Right. But I think if you think of it like a, you know, in cinema a storyboard, how about a photograph that represents the place and then the characters and who's the lead and who's the minor characters and what's the drama you know, I have an internal storyboard in my head when I'm shooting and that's enough. I don't need to check off, okay, sister-in-law with the aunt. Uh, somebody else can throw in whoever wants to be photographed. I don't mind, but I'm much more interested in driving home after wedding going, okay, did I tell a story in a full way? Did I get all the ups and downs and the uh this the sort of melancholy as well as the ecstasy do i have a enough um photographs to make this kind of tell a broad narrative um i think that's much more useful i wish the industry would kind of uh, uh embrace that and and not put this pressure on photographers to to get every napkin and every this and that it's just <laughs> 25 years later, you are not going to care if you have a picture of that napkin, I promise you. <laughs> I sure wouldn't care at all. And I think it can be kind of hard to communicate that sometimes because that's just what brides have seen everywhere. So that's that's a difficult thing. So yeah. I want to ask here shortly about uh, the, um, um, I guess, not vetting your client, but like, I guess, communicating what it is that you do, because what you do is not traditional um I guess wedding photography in that sense that there's lots of details, but you had said, um, when it comes to, uh, when you're driving home, you ask yourself, yeah. did I photograph all the highs? Did I photograph all the lows? Um, and that's something that a lot of people that stop a lot of people from getting into wedding photography because they're so nervous that it's mm. just one shot that right. you're going to miss a moment. How do you deal with that? What if you didn't catch all the highs and didn't catch all the lows? No, no one will know. That's the secret. <laughs> Just That's you. the whole secret. I'm the only one who knows what I miss. And I, I've done this for so long and I still, I miss people going down the aisle. I miss people coming back. I miss first kisses. I miss everything. But my mindset is always that I was much more nervous doing a corporate portrait of a CEO, which I was terrible at because that was you had 15 minutes, one shot, don't blow it. This is eight hours or two. Often my weddings are two days. I'm going to come home with enough uh, scenes of these two people and these two families uh, that they're going to be overwhelmed with uh, beautiful photographs that they're not going to look back and say, well, you didn't get a picture of Uncle Bill. Like, Well, Uncle Bill was no fun to photograph. So, <laughs> you know, maybe there's a photo booth. I love when photo booths are there, there to take that stress off. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do make it clear to people when I meet them that if you're, you know, type A perfectionist person who wants a photograph of every guest and every table and every this, you know, there's a lot of photographers out there. Um, I'm looking for 10 really cool couples who love photography and want, uh, you know, the best ones say I want one beautiful photograph from my wedding. Like, mm -hmm. I love those people because if they say that to me, then I'm going to work so hard to make an extraordinary photograph that I've never seen before. If I get a client who says, okay, here's my list of all the things I want, and I won't be happy unless I get them all. You just stand up, walk away. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's all I want to say to them is good luck in your marriage because your spouse is going to disappoint you every day. <laughs> This isn't even about wedding right. photography anymore. Oh, no. It's a yeah, good luck. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Um, so when it comes time to those couples who say, I just want one really good photo of our wedding. You said earlier, like when it comes to the preparation, you're like, just just let me show up, you know. Is there any like is there any uh, asking them like, well, if you had to imagine what that photo looks like, what could that look like? No, Nothing. that's it's a hundred percent up to you. 
but I, but I do, uh, I love to meet people in person. So I, because I'm in New York, I'm able to, for the most part, meet people. Um, if somebody hires me, we do a, we'll have a glass of wine and do, you know, a, a very relaxed engagement portrait where we'll, we'll walk around, I'll shoot a couple of roles. So they'll get to see how I work and I'll get to see how they are together and who's, who's the blinker and who's the awkward one. And, um, and those photographs are always kind of odd. And I almost want to just put them in a box for their 10th anniversary because, you know, engagement pictures are kind of, uh, forced and, um, you're not married yet. So they're just documenting a certain moment in time, but it's really useful for me to hang out with these people. And then on the wedding day, like, ah, oh, there's John. We know John. We trust John. Okay, let's go. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, but I can't predict what that picture is going to be. And that's the thrill of it. If I could just do a template and say, okay, I'm going to deliver a picture of the two of you standing in front of the, whatever, the ocean. And it's just, that's boring. So <laughs> I like to be thrilled. So, um, uh, when it comes to the engagement sessions and they are more, um, of a portrait session, they're more guided, they're more posed. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're just walking around. What is it that you're looking for? And then what is it that you're telling your couple? Do you say, Hey, go stand right there. Um, and then just it's a very neutral. In, it's a very indirect thing, but it's it's basically just you know I usually do it sort of near sunset in Lower Manhattan, and um, it's just I acknowledge that it's awkward and weird, and um, I'm often saying to myself like this is a disaster. I'm <laughs> how do people do it? It's not but just I'm, me. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, no, we're all in it together. But I'm looking for something of their personality so a picture that reflects their connection and you know sometimes you'll see one or the other saying you know don't do that that looks so awkward and i just say there's no right or wrong like uh, there's no expectation of you guys being in vogue this is just uh, a picture for your kids to discover in 25 years so just be and uh and eventually they let their guard down hopefully and um but it's you know it's it's not a high pressure situation it's just mm -hmm. let's just let's play pictures for an hour or so i'm going to push a little bit deeper into this because this is really interesting to me how do you communicate that connection between them in an image like what is it about the image that shows their connection uh, obviously there's the composition the lighting the framing all those things no it's 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 that Basically, what I've learned all these years is that I'm a student of body language. So I'm, I'm fluent in body language and I can tell when people are forcing something and then I can tell when they're, they're just actually feeling it between each other. So I, I kind of build this, uh, I take away expectations and then I, um, throw them into an area of good light. And then I just say, uh, look here or mm. turn it's, it, and, you know, it's often just like turn your head instead of your body, or there are a lot of little dumb tricks you learn over the years, but, you know, go to a museum and look and see how many pictures in the museum are flat towards the camera, towards the painter. Yeah. None like only, uh, old, <laughs> Ma and pa in front with the pitchfork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> American Gothic. American Gothic. Everything else is somebody's turned a little sideways and they look back. I mean, people in the old days were, uh, they sat in a more elegant way. And so the, unless you're Wes Anderson, I think there's ways to shoot people a little less directly and less in, and, and more uncontrolled and more, uh, again, trying to feel what they're feeling and, when they have a moment of of realizing this is a special couple months before the wedding, it's like let that come out. Mm. Um, you've been shooting for a number of years. Uh, do do you have um, one wedding photo that maybe stands out above the rest that you can think of in your head? 
Oh, there was, there's one that's in my book. That's a very dark portrait of a bride turning to the side and she's holding uh, a bouquet of lilies. And it was shot with an old toy camera. And this picture is probably 30 years old now. And it was on the contact sheet when I printed it, it was really dark. So I almost missed it. And then I was just looking at it one more time and I tried a print of it and it came to life. And it's, um, it's so sort of effortless and elegant. And I don't even know what it's, uh, what it's a picture about, except that it's just a unified portrait of beauty. It's, you know, I, when I was editing my book, um, I had a friend who divided my pictures into truth and beauty. So she made one pile of pictures that were moments of truth and one pile that were moments of beauty. And this picture was really at the top of the beauty category because it's, you know, uh, in some ways uh, on your wedding day, you're filled with it. You're vibrating with this energy um, that you may not have again. There's something unique about that day and the costume and the lighting and the, you know, you're, we're all in a play. The photographer is part of the play. And the bride and groom, the uh, all the characters are uh, part of it. And this bride in particular just played the part really beautifully. So when you go out and shoot, had you ever thought about your images in those two buckets before? No. No. no it, was, so, it was, yeah, I'm grateful to my friend Holly for figuring that one out. I I love getting outside insight for for. Yes. That exact reason, for sure. It just lets you see things like, oh, I had never seen it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, so when you go to a wedding, now with that knowledge, do you try to shoot it half and half, or is there one way that you skew towards? You know, um, I don't know how much control I have over it, except that um, I can tell when I'm out of balance, when I'm making too many pretty pictures and I'm not telling enough truth, then it feels a little, um, sometimes I compare it in my head to, to cooking. If it's too sweet or it needs a little salt, um, there has to be that balance. And I think in general, a lot of wedding photography has always been on the sweet side and it's a little too, it's not nutritious in my book. <laughs> so, um, that the, the, the it's not a either or thing. It's a both. It's and my whole mission really has been to expand the definition of wedding photography from, you know, just the pretty and the perfect to this full uh, carnival of emotions. I mean, it's all there on a wedding day, and even on a wedding day, people go through this huge range of emotions. So why is photography so narrow? Like include the complicated and the messy and the, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really excited to see younger photographers just uh, trying to reinvent it because we all have the same script every Saturday night. It's, and it's yeah. really hard to reinvent, but I think it's uh, a fun mission. Ha Okay. Uh, again, I'm, I'm at a fork in the road. I can go one of two directions. Uh, I'm going to stick with this beauty and truth idea. And I think that it kind of mirrors the title of the book, which is hmm. Perfect Imperfect, right? Did I get that right? Is it imperfect? No, it's Perfect yeah. Imperfect. Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, and it seems like perfect is the beauty side. Imperfect is the truth side. There you go. Um, but is that, it's almost like a play on words, right? It's it's the perfect imperfect. Uh, but is it two different things or, or for you, what, man, I think it's, no, I think it's a, it's a, it's a puzzle. Um, my book editor, Yolanda Cuomo, she, she really nailed the title. Um, it's a phrase I've been playing with the imperfect. was a phrase I've been playing with, but for me, I think when we were talking about it, I was telling her that there's a, if I'm doing a group picture, there's a perfect picture that's always kind of boring. And then there's this one picture where the people reveal themselves and that's the perfect imperfect. It's, it's an imperfect picture, but it's so deeper and so much uh, richer and more, uh, you know who these people are, you know what this moment was like because it was just that perfect moment when everybody wasn't putting on a face. 
Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a super elusive thing. And uh, you know, when I go through the book now, I almost all the pictures were one frame. So you know, it wasn't I had twelve choices of each picture. It's like that's the the winning picture is this picture that rose above all the rest because it was true. Yeah, and the other ones were less true. <laughs> they weren't fake, but they were, uh, you know, less true. So, yeah. you know, even when I photograph my family, the, the best pictures, I didn't say anything to, you know, I, I don't say a lot when I shoot because it's the pictures of my kids. Uh, I don't shoot them. I didn't shoot them a lot when they were little, but they didn't change when I raised the camera. I didn't have to say a word because that whatever I saw in them was existing on their face. So, um, it's, it's, it's the faith in the, what you're looking through your camera and seeing is enough. That's a hard thing to do, to have that self-confidence, to know that, to know that it's enough. But the joy of, uh, of, I mean, for me, it's always this thing that the deep joy and contentment I get from making a picture where I didn't say a word is immense. So, you know, it's worth that risk because the the satisfaction of making a picture uh in a real way is really profound do you think that can only come from figuring out what this form of photography is on your own like you said you you hadn't really seen any images of weddings beforehand do you think that you just have to go in it and figure out what it is for yourself or do you think that you can have some sort of education and still create images that are your own later on. I think that a lot of when I teach um, or when I talk to photographers, I feel like a lot of what I do is unlock them and say, you're handcuffed by these expectations of the industry, but you have the key to the handcuffs. So just, you know, let go. So I think, I think so many people are so tight by, uh, the pressures of the industry and in some ways the industry squashes creativity because it wants everybody to stay in this sweet middle. But if you, uh, you know, it, it, it's, if you have, um, a distinct way of working and a distinct clientele who you can really talk to, if you, if you need 15 clients a year or whatever it is you need, if you're um, tailoring your work to find those people, uh, then you can make really distinctive work. It's if you're trying to please everybody, you're sunk. So, you know, I play this game of what kind of restaurant would you be? And a lot of people are basically like a food court. Like I can do everything, whatever you want, I'll do it. And I'm like a, one of those restaurants where you sit down and this is the fresh fish we just caught today. And here's the fresh vegetables and this is on the menu and this is what we're serving. And it's going to be the best meal you've had. Um, so, you know, I've been able to work this out over years, but it's not that different than when I started that this is all I can do is shoot this way. Um, and I can find 15 people, 20 people a year. It's not that big an ask. So, I'm really into this idea of narrow casting rather than broadcasting and, you know, trying to become the biggest, just find cool people and shoot their weddings. Just find cool people and shoot their weddings. That's uh that's perfect. That's a perfect sentiment. Um, uh, changing gears here recently, or I guess getting back to the wedding day itself. Um, recently my, uh, my son started, uh, selling snow cones at the local farmer's market. Nice. And, um, when he was buying supplies for the snow cones, I realized that um, he was always making the cheapest decision, choosing the cheapest of everything, Mm. including choosing unwaxed paper cones, right? Because they were cheaper. So I tried to educate him a little bit and say like, you know, uh, the idea of um, when making a decision, it should be good for business and good for the customer. But he was picking snow cone cups that were just good for business and not the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this little conversation um, that sometimes if you buy something that is a little bit more, 
it's good for the customer because now they're going to want to come back next time instead of getting their snow cone soaked all the way through their clothes or whatever, right. uh, even though it may not immediately look good for business. And the way that I'm tying this into photography and asking you a question here about my son's snow cone stand is um, I've also heard that when you deliver a wedding, like you do this in person, you have a box of prints, you do this and you make this an event. So can you walk me through how this meeting is good for you are good for business and good for the customer. So, uh, when I leave a wedding, I go up to the couple, I give them a big hug. I say, I've got it. The story's over. I'm tired. My battery's dead <laughs> and everything's messy now. And the ties are off and it's time for me to go. And they say, go, <laughs> it's been incredible. So, I'm, uh, that's my last interaction with them is this sort of high moment. So for me to send them a link six weeks later and uh, have them, you know, be in line at Starbucks and looking at their pictures would be such a downer. It's such a, a letdown. So the, the idea has always been that we need to reconnect after the wedding and I want to hear, I want to tell you stories of what I saw of your family. And I want to hear, uh, I want to reconnect in this really special way. And it's, it's kind of thrilling. Uh, so I, you know, I meet them at my apartment or at a local place and I have the box of prints on the table, but I don't open it. And we talk about the wedding and we talk about the honeymoon and I still don't open it. And then at a certain point I can read their body language, like open the dang box. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's almost like, um, setting everybody up to, uh, to love what's in the box, even though they don't know what's in the box. I don't know what's in the box really until, uh, I, I uh, until I've shot the pictures, but or I don't know what's going to be inside the box, but that unveiling is really a, a loving kind of revisiting of that wedding. And it's uh, 15 pictures and everybody can do it their own way. But I found it to be really uh, the right number for me. And then the way they look at the pictures is so rewarding to me because they're reliving that moment. And um, and then we finish that and then they're just full of this great feeling. And then I say, well, let's go over here and I show them a slideshow of a top 100. And then hopefully that blows their mind. And then, uh, then I give them a, a book with all the proofs of all the other pictures. So it's like they're overwhelmed. And then I shove them out the door and say, good luck. <laughs> good luck going through all these pictures. <clears throat> Oh, but, um, but it's a sweet, it's a, I must say it's just the sweetest thing because, you know, at its best, they say, you know, your family now and, uh, or they say we experienced something together and, uh, that connection is real. It's not, it's not a business thing. It's like you trusted me and I hope I delivered on that trust. I know that you have a number of clients who are of a celebrity status that everybody would know of. Do you feel any pushback when you say, hey, we're going to meet together and look at your wedding photos? Yeah, not all the celebrities have met in person, <laughs> but some of them have. I mean, some really big ones. And one I flew down to Washington to deliver, and that was a glorious uh, thing. And, um, you know, it's 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 more the idea of tailoring uh, my business values to to what I really think is important. So for me, it's um, I it's such a uh, to be led into people's lives is such an extraordinary thing, and I take it very seriously. Becoming the family historian, and so. Anything less than this feels to me to be really commercial. And I think of myself as more like a specialist, almost like a heart specialist. So I come in to, you know, perform this operation. And then it's like seeing the patient after the successful heart surgery or something. It's, you know, it's a, it's, I, I'm really trying to just think of this job in a different way than we're used to with 
American businesses, you know, I'm not growing my business. I don't have 20 people working for me. It's like a, a wedding planner will call me and say, I've got a great one for you. I say, great. What's the date? Tell me where to be and I'll be there. And it's so it's I'm flipping a lot of the business models on their heads. But, um, you know, it's a I think it's much more sustainable than the people who grow and grow and grow and set up a studio with five people and albums and this and that. And, um, but you know, the freelance life is something everybody has to figure out on their own. And this is the way I've maintained it and kept it sustainable. So, you know, I'm not a rocket ship. I've seen so many people burn out. So I'm trying to be that slow burn. (laughs) What would that, what would the metaphor for that be? If it's not a rocket ship? Ah, just the slow train, maybe. Mm. I do love trains. Trains are pretty sweet. Yeah, I take a lot of trains, so (laughs) especially in New York, for sure. Yeah. Um. Well, John, I I honestly don't know how to uh, wrap it up any better than that. I feel like today you did a wonderful job of kind of walking everybody through the idea of how wedding photography can be different and and seeing it through a different lens that most aren't aware of. Um, so one, I wanted to say, you know, thank you for that and and how much I appreciate you. But, uh, two, before I let you go, I want to know, um, our listeners want to know as well, where can we see some of your work online so that we can get an idea of what the perfect imperfect photos look like? Well, uh, we've recently updated my website, johndolan.com. Um, there's a blog in there that's got some, uh, interesting little, non-traditional stories going on and instagram is kind of go in and out of instagram but uh at john dolan photog where you'll see some weddings some family stuff some horses we recently adopted a couple horses (laughs) a ridiculous thing (laughs) so they walk by every once in a while and some (laughs) sheep and stuff so uh yeah i try to mix it up a little bit we are in a, a very interesting place right now in photography um, and technology because, uh, as you've seen, more AI tools become available um, every day and they become easier and easier to access. And there's, you know, just naturally going to become a larger desire for things that are real, things that are authentic Um things that are non-computer generated, you know, because here's the thing, when when everybody gets inspiration from the same place, you know, the photos on Instagram, uh, they get a ton of likes, and then, you know, they go out and try to attempt to copy that style, AI is going to be able to copy that style instantly. And because it's trendy, nobody's really going to care if it's AI because everybody's just going to move on to a new trend before anybody really could care. But what John has found is a portion of the couples getting married who will settle for nothing less than raw human emotion. And John has spent his entire career creating images full of just that. You know, again, even if those raw human emotions are less than pixel perfect. But as you heard, it took John years to find his voice. It took years for John to figure out the types of images that he wanted to create. It took even longer to figure out how to communicate that value uh, that he offers to his clients. Years. But it paid off. And it only paid off because John put in the work. You know, John did not have this meteoric rise to success. It's not a quick journey to the top. But if you want to get there, if you want to get to the top, you, you know, you can have it if you want it, but you got to work for it. Right now, I want to invite you into our free and private beginner photography podcast community to share your biggest takeaway with the whole community. So if you want to grow uh, your skills as a photographer, the best way to do that is to surround yourself with others who are just as passionate about photography as you and can provide helpful answers to your questions and even give feedback on your photos. So to join the, again, free and private Beginner Photography Podcast community, go ahead and head over to beginnerphotopod.com forward slash group, or you can just click the link on the homepage now.
That is it for this week. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of the Beginner Photography Podcast brought to you by CloudSpot, the easiest way to deliver and even sell your photos online. You can learn more about CloudSpot by heading over to deliverphotos.com. And remember, the more that you shoot today, the better of a photographer you will be tomorrow. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Beginner Photography Podcast. If you enjoy the show, consider leaving a review in iTunes. Keep shooting, and we'll see you next week. I think it's very similar to a portrait session because I think a lot of photographers have a checklist. They want to get this, and and they don't recognize that if you just flow with it. Um, I had one student one time say, when I was introducing this idea, she said that she had a bride and groom come out of the church and they were so buzzed and full of love. And I said, and then you directed them. She's like, uh-huh. And oh, I killed no. it. She just like killed the buzz so hard. And that was the best lesson. Like just shut the F up. Like <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like, it's not that hard. Yeah. But I think what? it's people, photographers are so nervous and so uh, afraid that they don't trust themselves. So that's, that's, For sure. the, that's the big test. And people get into the business side so fast, you know, before they even know who they are as a photographer. And yeah. I think that's where it's really hard because now not only do you have to get all the technicals right while you're shooting, but also you're now looked at as the expert because they're paying you. They're expecting yes. something from you. And that's, yes. uh, that's difficult if you've never done that before. So uh, all over the place, I'm, I'm having a real hard time, like sharing with listeners that like we had talked about earlier, learning manual, learning all this stuff. You're just learning the tool. You're not learning photography mm -hmm. yet. And it's not until after you get to that point that you can, should really even consider selling it uh, to know what yeah. it is that you're selling. So I know, I know, but hard. there's, they're hearing a lot of noise from people like you too can be a luxury wedding photographer uh -huh. if you take this video course mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's a, uh, it's such a trap and it's, nobody knows how, what it really takes. And I think if the people who started the last couple of years had this boom, 21 22 boom and they're gonna hit it hard next year mm -hmm. like it's just you're not good you're not gonna survive but yeah. uh, and a lot of people should keep it just as a personal th hobby like in the old days that's the difference you know, with, right everything has to be a side hustle now you can't yeah. you can't get into knitting without having to set up a farmer's market etsy. Booth and, <laughs> yes. yeah yes. an etsy store all these things yeah it's real hard and when you see again like you were talking about earlier the perception of oh i can make this much in a day right um it's kind of alluring so i get or it. even it's, it's also like oh i could that picture's not that hard i could do that mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. a lot of people see that and like the lifestyle looks so good. You get to go to Italy and <laughs> how hard can it be? Well, pretty hard. Yeah. When it rains or <laughs> to get, because, because you're basically, um, every day still after doing this 35 years, every day I'm trying to get the next job and edit yesterday's job and doing today's job. So yeah. it's like, I don't think people have any idea how hard it is.